on this episode of The James Quandall Show. Kind of peaked. I realized this, eh, this guy's just talking too much good game. He's showing way too much interest in Milton Friedman at his age. You know, there's no way he likes, you know, free to choose that much. You know, but I gave him the book anyway. Turned out that was a horribly toxic relationship. But here's what I did. Happy Valentine's Day. Today's a special episode of the James Quando Show because I had the opportunity to chat again with my good friend Jason Wright. You may remember when Jason wowed everyone sharing his wisdom as one of the first guests on the podcast last year. And during this conversation, he did it again. We spoke about marriage, romance, making your spouse and daughters laugh, and how important it is to not focus on the small things that won't matter on your 50th wedding anniversary. Jason shared some of his family's rituals and traditions, how he's tried to be an example for his daughters and encouraged them never to settle when dating. And he's shared how loving your wife well is masculine and should be encouraged. Please enjoy this episode and tell someone special in your life that you love them. I'm super excited to have my good friend, Jason Wright, back on the show. The first repeat guest on the James Quandall Show. And this is a special episode of the show because it's Valentine's Day week. And it's time for you to listen to two dudes talking about romance and how to woo your wives. And uh, so much more that we're going to get into, I'm sure, because uh, before we even started recording, we already geeked out on life for 30, 40 minutes. So uh, you're in for a treat with this one. But uh, Jason, welcome back. Man, thank you, James. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that uh, the stars aligned and call it divine intervention or whatever, that uh, you have not only become a friend, but someone that I have learned so much from just not only from our discussions, but uh, just watching the work you're doing, man. So it's an honor to be back, dude. This is our eight month anniversary, I believe, from when we first sat down and recorded a podcast. And what's amazing is the James Quanto show has not missed a week in those eight months that since we first met and you were one of the first three guests on the podcast. So I'm just so happy that you gave me a chance when I was just this green podcaster with stars in my eyes and a dream to do a show. And now we can just continue to geek out on love now, I guess. <laughs> it has, it has been so fun. And by the way, I know how hard that is. That's the thing that a lot of people, and you're the one that gave me the stats early on about how few podcasts have more than 100 episodes. The hardest part of having a podcast is showing up to work every single week. And, and dude, you've done it, man. So kudos, brother. Well done. And thank you to the listeners for, for putting up with, with my learning and your reviews and your emails. And th that means so much. And when you share the show, that's just, that's what does it. That's what keeps me recording these episodes is those text messages that, hey, I really love that episode. So thank you so much. But in Valentine's Day spirit, I want to talk about romance. And the reason I wanted to talk about it with you was two reasons. One, on the Jason Wright Show, you had our mutual friend on, Mitchell, and you, 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 you weren't talking about this, but he had a comment and he said, hey, it looks like you and Jemlin are just in love. Like, it looks like you guys just have such a good relationship. And I think he asked, how do I find that for myself? And I was listening to that on your show. I go, yes, I've seen that same thing. They just have a relationship that just looks fun. It looks like they just enjoy being around each other. And it's just playful. And I said, I want to talk to Jason about that. Because as a newlywed, I want to make sure I maintain that spark. That was the word that he used. It was a special spark that you guys have. So let's spend this episode, you teaching me how to, to maintain a spark and create a spark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I'll tell you how, how I do it. First and foremost, it, this is one of my favorite topics. I love talking about my wife, Jimlin is she's my hero in so many ways. And you, and you know this because you, you have seen her. She's a tiny little thing. You know, she's barely over five feet tall, but she is the largest physical figure in my life by far. And so I think here's the thing that um, that really makes our relationship work. And and by the way, thank you for that honor, James. I, just like I told Mitchell, he, he did. He, he came out of the blue with that. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm known as nothing else but Jimlin's husband that is madly in love with her and her in love with me, Man, I'll take that identity all day long. So I was so honored by that, and I'm honored that 
you have seen that so much to it, that you're giving me the opportunity to, to share this on the show. So thank you for that, brother. All right. So first and foremost with Jimlin and I, it starts with appreciation, man. She and I, uh, she came out of a long, uh, she'd never been married before, but she came out of a long-term bad relationship when we met. As you know, I was in a, I married my college sweetheart. We're married for nearly 17 years, have two beautiful daughters to show for it, but it was pretty toxic and unhealthy. And, uh, and just to, to honor the mother of my children, uh, she and I are friends now. She, Jemla and I are friends now. So listener, don't worry there. If you're wondering, Ooh, I wonder what it's like now. Well, sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was very interesting when I saw a TikTok video of your Thanksgiving this year with all of you in one spot. And I go, if this isn't something out of Van Wilder, I don't know what is. Like, how on earth do they sit around the table? Like, I just feel like it would be so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, you know, and a lot of that is because Jemlin makes that work. And let's, let's be honest. I mean, she's the one that came into this with, you know, a, two daughters that are like on the, on, on the brink of adulthood and, and marrying me. And to be honest with you, I didn't think I was worthy of someone like Jimlin, beautiful, smart, strong, uh, younger than me. I mean, everything. And, and I think that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this is I have such an appreciation for her and, and it starts a cycle, man. Whenever you truly respect and appreciate the person that you've been blessed to walk through life with in the way that she and I do, then it just, it just works. And then another thing that I know, because you do see both uh, my social media, as well as the hot tot social media, where I, I am affectionately known as her intern at, uh, at our store. I'm not afraid to do whatever it takes to make her laugh. And, you know, I think there was an episode of Seinfeld where they're constantly, they're talking about the move. I think the episode was titled the move, you know, and Jerry had a move and, and Putty had a move. George failed trying to move guys. If you want to move that will work each and every time, be willing to be a clown and find out what makes your wife, your spouse, your girlfriend, whatever, make her laugh. And I think that's one of the things that I do with Jemlin because she is like so reserved. And so to be able to make her laugh, it's my favorite thing, man. So, so that, 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 that's what I would say is the, the key to making it work is, you know, look, life is going to be serious enough, especially when it comes to relationships. And then James, I'm going to go ahead and throw out what I think was probably my best little nugget of wisdom but, you know, by God's grace, is it what I'm not smart enough to come up with this, but uh, that I gave Mitchell is for, for and I, from a from a male perspective or, or, or female, whatever, but just speaking as a male, um, whenever you find yourself in areas of disagreement and Jimlin and I don't fight, we, we don't have arguments. And a lot of that is because of this. I always bear in mind Whatever the problem is that you're dealing with that day in the present, and anyone listening, if, you're, if you happen to be in the car and you left your house this morning angry at your significant other, think about this. Will this thing that you're upset about, will it even be a topic of discussion on your 50th wedding anniversary? And if you keep everything about your relationship with that type of perspective in mind, will this, is this, if we're standing with our family and friends, having been married for 50 years, now think of the things that can happen in 50 years. Children can be born. Loved ones can die. Businesses can start and there's an elation to that. Businesses can fail and there's a tragedy to that. There's so many things that happen over that 50 years. So do you really think that on your 50 year anniversary, you're going to go back and go, remember that time in 2022 where we couldn't decide where to go to dinner and you refused to make a decision and it just frustrated me to no end? Probably not. So if you keep everything in that kind of perspective, man, I think that really helps it work as well. There was a guest on the show recently, Gil Stieglitz, and he said that the two most common times for marriages to end are after kids are born and at retirement. I believe it. Does that surprise you at all? Because I got the kids born that I under, I kind of understood that. I've seen that in our culture. But 
the retirement one shocked. Like that really surprised me because to me it was like, okay, we're retired now. Now we can go enjoy ourselves together. Like we worked so hard. Now we don't work and we can just kind of enjoy it. Yeah. But here, here's, here's why that doesn't surprise me, James, is because, and, and I, I brought this up with Mitchell. Another thing that makes Jimlin and I work so well is we create traditions and rituals that are ours, that are uniquely ours along the way. And if you don't do that, then you very well may find yourself when there's no work to go to, when there's nothing pulling you away from the, 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 the relationship to kind of, you know, something's not quite right, but I don't have to deal with this because I got to go to work. I got to take a trip. Uh, we can, we can together gripe about this. We can gripe about the kids together and then we'll figure out how to pay for this. We're paying for college. But then when it's just two people left and you have not built something to get excited about every Sunday morning, then it's just a Sunday morning with this person that you don't have work coming Monday. So you go, Oh my gosh, whatever happens today, tomorrow is going to look kind of just like this. And then the next day and the next day. And so like one of the uh, kind of a little anecdote that I used with Mitchell, I told him that, you know, this friend of ours, when Jim and I got married, she gave us this set of coffee mugs that say hubby and wifey. And every Sunday morning, unless we're not at home every Sunday morning, we are going to have coffee in those specific mugs. And we know it. That's just what we are going to do. And, and and there's all sorts of little things. I won't bore you or your listeners. But doesn't that take away your masculinity to be drinking out of a, a, a hubby mug? Like, I mean, that's so unmanly. How do you how do you do that? You know, I tell you what, there's uh there's a big difference between being um non-manly and being bold enough to 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 participate in those things, man. Uh, I, and I can just tell you from my experience, you know, women do not want a doormat. They don't want, at least Jimlin does not want someone that is soft and, and whatever, but she loves a guy that's bold enough to say, give me the hubby mug. I'm in because there's a bigger picture. And then I think that the wisdom, you know, it's not just about the kind of the, the, the silly mug. It's about hey, we've created space here that is ours. We've created something that's a reminder. And think about that. I mean, it takes us back. Those mugs exist. This is funny. It's all it's weird because we love coffee. So maybe that's why so many of our stories revolve around coffee. But there's a little bitty spoon with a heart. Talk about you know cheesy stuff and not non-masculine. There's this little bitty stirring spoon that, that's in the shape of a heart at the end that a friend of ours gave during our wedding. It is what we use to, to stir our coffee. Right, the cream in our coffee, that's, that's what we use is that little spoon always because, again, it's a reminder. It is ours. And I, so I think that, you know, no matter what happens, when Rylan and Abby are off on their own and they're, you know, with our grandkids one day and they're doing their own thing and the store, you know, Jimlin has sold that or whatever. And it's just us just hanging out, you know, traveling to South Carolina to see the Quan Dolls for a while in, our, in my, my dream Sprinter van. When that happens, we will show up in South Carolina with our coffee mugs and our little stirring spoon, making coffee exactly the way we want it, and that is uniquely ours. That will go with us from today and into retirement and and for the rest of our lives. I think that shows like Everybody Loves Raymond and The Simpsons and all the other shows that portray the modern family today – have these men who are so manly, they're afraid to be soft around their family and don't ever allow their kids to learn romance and intimacy and, God forbid, love, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that masculinity is knowing when you can be soft and embrace these types of things. And I think that's what you do. Like, I do think you're a tough, manly man, but you're drinking out of those mugs and you're wearing an elf costume and running around your wife's store and you are proud of it. And I think that's more manly than being too afraid to do that because of how people might judge you. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, James. And I think that every guy out there listening, if you're a CPA at KPMG or whatever, God bless you. And some of you are veterans. Some of you, you know, you, you may be in the reserves or whatever, but just look, we, we live in a very Uber first world uh, setting. It's, it's the 21st century. So 
you're probably not going to bear arms and go slay a dragon for your princess in 2022, right? But show your wife that you are willing to make a fool of yourself to everyone else but her to get that laugh. It's a, it's a moment to be kind of a, a, an alternate hero, if you will. It's like, because there's nothing more heroic than being able to completely put your ego and everything else aside and go, you know what, sweetheart, whatever your happiness means, it's not just always about slaying dragons and making the money and putting the roof over the head and all these things that, you know, we kind of get caught up in. It's just, and the thing is, the cool thing about women, I say this about Jimlin all the time. One of the things I love most about her is that Jimlin didn't need me. She was doing just fine before I ever showed up. And if I'd never come along, that girl would still be successful and, and kicking butt and taking names. She, it's not that she needs me. It's that she wants me. And I think as a man, if you can be the type of guy that you can slay those dragons of a different kind, which is generally our ego, our pride, uh, being, being truthful. I mentioned this too, never holding back. We as men, we tend to put up walls because to be able to just say, to let our, our spouse and sometimes even our children know, hey, I love you. I, I love you so much. Well, every time you say, I love you, that kind of puts you out there to be not loved or, or hurt. And that's scary. But if you can do that, man, I'm telling you, that's where the magic happens. It took me a long time to tell Emily I loved her for the first time. I said it inside of me. Mm-hmm for a long time before I said it out loud. And it was for that reason. I had been hurt in the past and afraid to say it and then then not be able to, like, then be hurt again, basically. And now I'm saying it more than ever to make up for all of that time because we have to tell our spouses we love them every time we think of it, every single time we think of it. And, you know, you mentioned um, the 50-year the wedding anniversary and will this matter? Basically, when I when I think of that, almost none of this stuff's going to matter in 50 years. And another thing that I, I, I kind of feel with Emily is if we have some small tit, like fight, some some issue, not a, just like a disagreement of some kind, and she's leaving I'm, the house for to go shopping or something, I want to fix that before she leaves. Like, what if it's the last time I see her? I don't want it to be some silly argument about nothing. Like, I don't like those little silly things. They're just not worth it in the grand scheme. I, I could not, I could not agree more, James. That's one of the things too. That's one of mine and uh, Jimlin's little rituals. We do not part company without giving each other a kiss. Um, it's morbid and it sucks, but it's kind of like memento more, you know, or whatever it is, you know, the, the stoic idea of we're all dying. And it's this idea of having something to remind you. And, you know, that could be, the last kiss ever. And again, it is rather morbid, but also I think it's important. And as, you, as I'm older than you, and I just had this discussion with a friend this past uh, week, the older you get, the more finite you realize life truly is. And every day, it, instead of it going from this, you know, uh, workshop, conference trope of, Seize the day, live in the moment, you know, appreciate the present, you know, the past is gone, the future's not here, and every and the present's the only thing that's real, and that's why it's called the present. You know, it goes from that to all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, based on the actuarials, I might be halfway through this race, and I got a lot of stuff I want to get done. I want my wife to know how much I love her, and I've only got so many more days, and I don't know, I really don't know when the scoreboard is going to click zero. I don't know that. I think I've got a few more quarters, but who knows? And so when you start to think in that kind of finality of this journey we're on, to your point, the little stuff really doesn't matter all that much. But the, the things that are really big, like giving your wife a kiss before she leaves and, and just the, the and, and talking about children, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. When they frustrate the crap out of you as teenagers and they go to leave to go to their friends, even when you don't want to because they haven't done what you've asked and they've just they've let you down. Go ahead and give them a hug. Let them go because they may not come back. That's just the reality. And so uh, I, think, I think having that mindset, and again, it goes back to that, that, just that appreciation of, of the now and knowing that tomorrow 
the next moment is not guaranteed. It changes everything. How, with that in mind about any day could be the last day, how do you still have motivation to work or or do things like that when it's like, oh, well, it could be over tomorrow. Like, I just want to kind of enjoy the day. Like, how do you get motivated with that mindset? Yeah, so there's a good, uh, I wish I had it in front of me. So Marcus Aurelius actually wrote on this and he he talked about how, you know, a lot of people, and I'm going to paraphrase and use his kind of his his wisdom into the, the answer. A lot of people have this Don Draper type mindset of I'm living like the, there's no tomorrow because there's not. And if you know anything about Mad Men and the character that I think is one of the best characters ever developed on film ever is Don Draper. Don Draper, he cared about one thing, the moment in front of him. He didn't give a dang who he hurt, whether it was his children, whether it was his spouse, whether it was his coworkers. Don Draper lived for Don Draper so that if he died, he dropped dead tomorrow, then Don Draper had been all in for Don Draper. Well, Aurelius comes at it from a different standpoint. He says, okay, if this is in fact our last day on earth, then why not go at, out as the most noble of an individual? Why not go out as someone of honor? Why not take this last moment that you have to, to make up for that argument that you did let get out of hand by saying, sweetheart, just want you to know, I love you. And there's nothing that will ever change that. So that we had this whole mind shift and it's not about doing good works and trying to be good. It's just saying, wait a minute, if this is my last day on earth, you know, that famous poem, the dash, what if the last little tiny, 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 tiny millimeter of it, you, you, you make sure you polish it up and go, you know what? The last thing I want them to remember of me is not, I'm not, I don't want to remember that it's my last day. So I, I climbed, you know, um, El Capitan, you know, I free soloed El Capitan, you know, and that was my last deal. God bless Alex and those guys that do that, right? They're, they're rock stars. But instead you decide if this is my last day, I want my wife to go, man, I was married to a good man. You want your children to go, God, my dad, the last thing he told me, he, he, for, for some reason, the last thing he said was the golden rule. He told me to treat others as I wanted to be treated before I left. I don't know why I did that. It's this whole mindset of just staying true to who you really, really want to be at your core, James. And so I think when you know that, and again, we could, you know, I know this isn't the episode we're going to do this, but it's not easy. And it starts by that having a primer in the morning where you wake up and you have you have rituals in motion for gratitude, for writing, for mindfulness, and never taking for one moment for granted that this, this complex thing that we've been given, that our soul is housed in this piece of machinery called the human body with a CPU that's a brain that so many people are out there just hoping it works right. You know, I hope it works all right. No, take the time to process, calibrate it, and then then the, the staying motivated and understanding what you can accomplish comes a lot easier and more naturally. It's just, there's no, you know, you get bo when you're born, you don't have this owner's manual for your body like right. you right. do when you get a, a new uh, a Chevy Cruze or something. Exactly. So, but, so thankfully, you're coming up with uh, the Vitruvian uh the, the the challenge where you're going to uncover a lot of the owner's manual of the body and how to make the brain work for you and your body work for you so you can climb a mountain in when you're 70 if you choose to if that's something you want to do and um, you know I actually had a good friend who retired at age 65 and only a couple weeks after he was done his wife came in and said, James, please take, take him back, take him back to work. Like he doesn't know what to do with himself and he's driving me crazy. Yeah. And how, how do you make sure that while you're kind of climbing the mountain and you're, you have these ambitions and goals that you have that presence with your family still, and you do create these traditions and rituals. I think that like for me, what's worked is I let them in on it. I, I let my daughters have known from a young age that their dad's a dreamer. Now that's not like the, um, 
the dreamer that's usually uh, depicted on a in a in a movie on a Hallmark not, it wouldn't be a Hallmark movie because in that movie the dad would probably end up saving the day. But in a movie, you know, the hero's journey of the dad would be the 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 kind of savant that's dreaming of his big ship coming in, but he's a constant failure, kind of like the dad on Little Miss Sunshine, you know, the Greg Kinnear character that he's going to be the motivational speaker. And he's going to sell the book, you know, and be a bestseller. But really, if, if that doesn't work, he's got nothing else. So I think it's it's being a dad that let your kids in on the dream and make them part of the dream and let them see the things that that you're working toward and why you're doing it. You know, one of the things that that I, I always tell people is go build a birdhouse, go build a birdhouse, go fill the sense of building something for nothing, you know, and then, cause there's a couple things that can happen. One, you get the sense of achievement of you built something. And two, you don't have somebody telling you that it's good. If it's not, if it's a birdhouse that sucks, no one else has to see it. They will, you will know my birdhouse sucks. And that birdhouse can be, that can be a, a metaphor for so many other things like for you and I, I mentioned this, I think, uh, somewhere in one of the things I'd written that our podcasts, you know, the podcasts I create, that's my birdhouse every week. And I tell my children that you guys are, y'all inspire me to want to do more and do these things. And so, and I think it's all, it, it has to be tied in. Like, see, James, the reason we're having this conversation is because somewhere along the way, I executed the practice of it's not just about looking good and saying the right things and being married for a long time. It's about being someone that you could tell that there's a there's a glow in my wife's face that she's happy, that she's respected, that she's cherished, and that she's honored that make you go, Jason, how'd you do that? Well, see, I make her a part of that. And then to be able to then the opportunities like this will come to be able to share that, which feeds into the things that I love to do, which is teach about health and wellness and, and how to maximize this journey we're on that is life. And so it just, it just all ties together. So I think the, uh, that's a long way of saying, man, you let them in on your dreams and you, you tell them they're part of it. They're, they're part of the inspiration for it. That's yeah. I mean. That, that makes a lot of sense. And is that, do you, do you have like family sit downs and you, you talk about that and, and where did, where do their dreams fit in? So like Gemlin's dreams, I know you're heavily involved with her business and, and making that work. Is that a part of, of this romance and, and, and being a good husband, do you think? Yeah. You know what? So Gemlin will tell you that since I came along, um, the business has, it's almost doubled. Really? And, and you know, my background as an entrepreneur, Right. And so one might think, oh, wow, Jason came in and kind of took, you know, this uh, this small business owner that started out in twelve hundred square feet uh, 10 years ago and really showed her some tricks and the levers to pull to really blow the business up. They would be absolutely wrong. That is not the case at all. As a matter of fact, any business, quote unquote, business advice I've given Jimlin, she's usually rejected outright. <laughs> But, but here's the cool thing, man. Me being someone who does look at her business and go, do you understand what I could do with this place? To be able to put that aside and realize that, hey, the single greatest thing I can do is be her biggest cheerleader. To let her know that no matter what, now, I, obviously, if I thought she was going to make some big blatant mistake, like, you know, buy shoes for a dollar and sell them for 50 cents and say she's making it up on volume, kind of like the proverbial watermelon salesman was trying to do, then I'd say, hey, babe, you might want to rethink that strategy. But really, it's putting my ego to the side and realizing that even if the business doesn't work, that's not priority one. It is working because she's such a, a stud at what she does. But even if it doesn't work, my wife will always know I believed in her. I supported her. And no matter how bad the day is, she gets to come home to a guy who is her biggest fan. And so, man, I'm telling you, if there's, so that's what it is, is her dreams. And so then all of a sudden it becomes a matter of, hmm, as long as I'm supporting her, that's the goal. Is that as his Jimlin going to the store, no matter how bad her day it, that she, she feels accomplished. She feels energized. She knows that she's got, you know, I've got her back, both literally, I will, I will rub her back, I will catch her, whatever the case may be, she has that support. And I think that's why the business has grown. And so that's it, man. It's, it, the goal is not for 
me to be able to beat my chest and go, wow, look how good the business is doing. And it's, you know, Mr. MBA Jason came along. No, no, I did none of that. It's all her. The only thing I did is support her. And, you know, that, and that's the thing too, James. Husbands, listen to me. If part of your goal setting and your strategy for a successful life does not include somewhere in it inputs that are going to make your wife feel loved, cherished, respected, and honored, then you're doing it wrong. You're Because do- whatever goals you have as a husband, you might be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company yanking down over a million bucks a year. But guess what? If you don't have somewhere in your personal business plan a way to make sure your wife feels loved, cherished, respected, and that she receives the honor. Because let me tell you something, James, we've talked about it. This podcast, my my awesome Roadcaster Pro that I have, Jimelyn Wright bought that for me for Christmas. You know, this microphone, she she's willing to support these things that make us no money that she's she allows me to dream. And so how so it's really a, it's not much to ask of me to support her in her dream and then by being her intern. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, yeah, an unpaid intern at that, that has to dress up in goofy costumes and go oh. on Instagram stories. I love just following along just to see what you're going to do next. It's- yeah, well, and it, she and the best part is, man, she plays the best uh, straight man to my goofiness, to my clan. Because seriously, like on the videos that we do uh, every month, people have asked us, you know, do you plan those or whatever? And, and she and I'm kind of like, it's weird. I'm like kind of in this grumpy mood on our way to the store the days that our videographer is going to show up to do the like the more professional, not just the goofy stuff I do. And uh, they'll say, like, do y'all plan these out? And I, I told them, no, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And most of those videos start out with me telling Jim and just, okay, here, here's what I'm going to do. And you just, you just react. And she just kills it, you know? So it's, it's a lot of fun, man. So kind of changing gears a little bit. Is it inappropriate to ask if you did these similar things with your girl's mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not, it's no, it's a great question. So I would say the long and short of it is yes, I started out doing it, but here's the thing, James, and this is the big lesson in, uh, especially, okay, let's just talk as two Christians, right? As Christians, we, we believe in the value of forgiveness, right? That's what it's all about. So when you're really, really hurt chronically in a relationship, as was the case in our relationship, I was on the receiving end of a lot of unhealthy uh, behavior. And I would say, I forgive you. And we'd move along. And something would happen, I forgive you. But saying you forgive someone and walking out forgiveness are two completely different things. And you know, I think that that was the thing that um, I didn't do well. Like, so, so no, I did not enjoy Rylan and Abby when they were much younger the way I should. I was, I would get so wound up in the moment, the battles of life, paying the bills, starting businesses that I didn't stop to just breathe and realize, Hey man, you got a pretty good thing going here. Relax. So, uh, so I definitely, I tried to do some of those things, but did not do them as well. And that's why I think it goes back to what I said. Now, I, I told uh, I told Jimlin whenever we first uh, got together, I said, you know, look, here's the deal. Um, you deserve a guy that's been through some special ops training, and I've had it. I've been, I've been in that special ops training. And um, and so, yeah, man, I, I think I did. But James, obviously, and this is the thing, too, to the listener, it takes two to tango, right? No marriage falls apart just because of one person. And if it's a matter of forgiveness and non-forgiveness, just because you're the offended and just because you say you forgive somebody, if you don't forgive the way that we are, and, and by the way, a lot of Christians out there will listen to this and they'll say, well, you know, the bot doesn't God forgive and forget well, it, I don't know if it says anything about forgetting. I think it, it, it we get forgiveness, but That's it's hard, it's hard to forget. Hey, man, I'm pretty sure that if you and I were standing before Jesus and said, "Hey, do you know who David is and Bathsheba?" I, I'm pretty sure he'd know the story we're talking about. Okay, I'm pretty sure he didn't forget. <laughs> he would quote it better than we can. <laughs> exactly. It's choosing not to remember, and that was what I didn't do well. Now, these were some big, you know 
you know, nuclear events that I went through. I'm not saying that to try to make excuses for myself by any means, but what it did for me was it made me realize, you know, and I said, I would never get married again. I was never going to marry again, man. I was single for five years. Rylan and Abby were going to be the only girls in my life. And I was going to live my life as a single man for the rest of my life. God had different plans and thank God he did. Cause I'm such a better human being with Jimlin. But having that rearview mirror, and I hope to God, anyone listening, if you're kind of in that situation, take hold now where you don't have to go through that trauma to go, let's figure out what really matters and make some goals. And, and look, I'll say this, the thing that I failed really miserably, James, is my success was all about the world's success, okay? Being a success, I wanted to be a really good dad and I wanted to do that. But as far as everything else, it had to be, you know, on city council by the time I'm 35, owning my own business by the time I'm 28, you know, having a certain amount of money in the bank by the time I'm 40, you know, all these different things that at the end of the day, just those are misguided priorities. So before we go on to this, this next idea, you said walking out forgiveness Mm -hmm. and you can say, I forgive you. I know we're all broken humans and and things happen, Mm -hmm. but how, Knowing what you know now, what tips would you give me as far as forgetting, I guess, or removing it from your your mind? Like, how do you do that? That's really hard. Yeah, feelings follow actions, brother. And it's hard, but they do. Um, It's using that that agape love. It's, you know, I may not feel like I love you, but I'm sure going to act like I do. And the crazy thing is our brains, again, listener, go Figure out how the brain works. Go learn the plasticity that is our brain. It can literally be changed and bent and manipulated. And so if we start telling ourselves, I love this person, I truly love them. And then you start acting like it with a hug. Like, okay, here's a great example. We talked about earlier how because some of us have been so hurt, like I was the guy that should have had this fortress built around myself that there was no one ever going to hurt me again. And it, and I can't take full credit for it, man. There's just, I think it was Jimlin, just who she was. And by God's grace, I came to the conclusion, and I know I'm right on this, that the single greatest way to hedge against being hurt that way again is to love with reckless abandon. Love so freely and so carelessly, just give, just shower in love. But that's not how our natural mind thinks, right? We think, that makes me too weak. That makes me vulnerable. So we put a fortress and go here. I'll catapult some love over the wall every now and then, but just wait, wait, wait. Okay. There's another one. No, let down the drawbridge and let it flow, baby. And that's what I didn't do. Right. So, because if you do that, if you let the love flow, if you just let it go completely, then all your brain goes, Oh, that's what we feel about this person. That's how, Oh, okay, cool. Remember you love this person. And then what will happen is you do that enough when you create that rut in your mind that I really love this person and I've got the actions that follow, then your brain will just all of a sudden, it'll be, it will become the knee-jerk reaction of they've, they've upset me, they've hurt me, but the reaction is, but I love them so much that I'm going to remember my 50th wedding anniversary right now, as opposed to I love you and I've only loved, but, I, and I'm, but I'm only going to love you this much and here's why, because you've hurt me again. So pull back, pull the drawbridge up. Put and put the put the boulders in. No more love, no more love lobs for a while because you've hurt me. That's it, James. It's it's actually letting those feelings follow the action of of truly loving someone, saying that you love them, doing things that they know. Let them without any question of God, this guy loves me. And that and at a minimum, if they're gonna cheat on you or do something stupid, you're gonna make it a hell of a lot harder. Whenever they have to sit there and go, gosh, I can't believe I'm about to do this. This guy freaking loves me. You know, that's a lot easier than, well, you know, he doesn't really love me. You know, uh, one of the things I'll, I'll share something. Yeah. A little, little transparency here. And this is one of the things that I I'm grateful that Carrie did. Carrie told me right there at the very end when she decided to end our marriage, she said, you know, <clears throat> she said, I realize two things. She said, I realize the hurt that I've caused you, you will never, ever be able to get over. She said, the other thing I realize is you will never divorce me because you don't believe in it and you will never do it. So therefore, I'm setting you free. And you know, it sucks. I don't want to sugarcoat this at all. 
I'm not going to say there's, I, 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 look, personal opinion, listener, believe what you want. I hate divorce. It sucks. I despise it. But I will say this. In that instance, all the pain, and that's why we can now sit down at Thanksgiving dinner together. Carrie will actually come to our house and share Thanksgiving with us, which we all think is so funny. But Carrie, and if Carrie were here, she, she's a funny bird. Everybody, I mean, Carrie's just, she's, she's just Carrie. Her, the girls, like mom, mom's just mom. But the reason we can do that is because I'm able to process the bigger picture of all this and go, wow, you know, I, it sucked. The ending of that story at the end of the day sucked, but it did set me free. It taught me some lessons and now I have Jimlin and yet we can all still be friends because it's so important to me for our, my daughters to put my, my own feelings aside for the benefit of the girls. And you know, at the end of the day, man, it, it it's, it's not pretty. It's not perfect, but here it is. That's so helpful for you to share. And I just know how hard it is to talk about that because deep wounds never go away, yeah. but they make you who you are. Yeah. And I'm curious what you have said or what you would say to your daughters to find a mate who doesn't believe in divorce, who will not quit no matter what. How do you find someone like that? Because I think to have a marriage that lasts 60 years, you need that. Like you, you need a both ends, no quit attitude, no matter what. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing, and we talked about it before we got on is, you know, and I, I would say this, look, I'm going to say this from a father to, to daughters, because that's all I know. I've got two girls and here's what I've told them over and over and over. Do not settle. Now, I don't think you should settle on the jobs you take. I don't think you should settle on the cars you buy. I don't think, I think you should buy, acquire, shoot for whatever the absolute best of. But let me tell you something. All that stuff pales in comparison to a spouse. Do not settle. Make sure, make sure they check every single box. And if they don't, look, some boxes are going to be worth more points than the other, right? If you want to do it like that. But, but the top one, number one, absolutely. Talk about not believing in divorce. You got to be equally yoked. Again, not to get too Christianese on the listeners and start talking in, uh, in, you know, youth minister talk or anything like that. But this essentially what this means is your beliefs better line up. You, you, you have to have, and it's, it's not even beliefs, it's values. Okay. Infidelity meant something different to me than it did to Carrie. Okay. There was a different value system applied there. Um, you know, whether it's and what and you fill in the blank of any of the major issues that you know, money management, how you raise children, all these different things. Make sure you are equally yoked in these values before you even go down to the next things like where you want to live, whether you want to, whether the husband or the wife or both are going to stay at home and work, whether you're going to be entrepreneurs, whether you whatever, whether you're going to live in South Carolina or East Texas. All that will come. And those are the ones you can negotiate, right? That's like, well, I want to live close to my parents. Well, I want to live close to my parents. Well, why don't we live somewhere in the middle? Okay. You can. You don't have to be so dogmatic. It's like, no, by golly, we live in Texas or we live nowhere at all. This relationship is done. Those are, th those are kind of those tier two, tier three settles. But there's got to be some. You've got to have some non-negotiables when it comes to choosing your spouse or choosing your, your mate. And that's what I've told the girls because here's the deal. If you think you're going to change somebody after they're married, and it sounds cliche at this point. And so many, because look, we have so many self-fulfilling prophecies that we, but we don't want to know that we don't want to, there are people that are going to listen to this man, that they're in a five-year relationship and there's something deep down in them that knows that if the person came to them and said, Hey, I think I want to break this off. If they would for a minute feel a sense of relief, they'd kind of be like, I didn't have to do it. There's that, that person's listening. And if you feel that, have the courage, have the decency, have the respect for yourself and the person to make the move now. Don't settle. Don't settle. I've been there. I've been that person. And thank God that I 
decided to be single and figure out who I was. Because as soon as I said, I'm not going to date for a while, I'm going to just work on myself and figure out who I am and what I truly want was basically exactly when I met Emily. And I could have settled and she could have settled. And it's really easy to do that. But if, yeah, deep down, if you know they're not the one for you, they're not the one for you. Like if you're wondering that now, you're for sure going to be wondering in in five, 10 years. You're going to know actually in five, 10 years. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, that's, um, it's something that, and I, I, I look back and you, you can always second guess and play armchair quarterback to a lot of life decisions. You know, if, if I look back on when Carrie and I got married, Carrie is a great girl. Like I said, she's my college sweetheart. But did I go through at 22 years old? Well, we met when I was 19, got married whenever we were 22, right after we graduated. I did not have the list that I had before Jimlin. And the thing is, I wasn't looking. As a matter of fact, and here's, here's something, maybe this is a decent strategy. Make your list so hard to measure up to that you you purposely are saying, see, I can't, I will never because this person does not exist. Yeah, they're not out there. <laughs> they're not out there. That's exactly what I did with Jim. And I mind you, she and I had both lived in the same town for tw- nearly 20 years. And Tyler's only 100,000 people. It's not that big. So, but we did not really know each other. We knew of who, but didn't know each other. So I, so I had this list that the, of all these different criteria. And I said, and what I remember one of them, they, oh, and they would have to live in Tyler, Texas and have to basically just come and just flop down in front of me and say, Hey, here I am. I said, and that person doesn't exist. Cause if they did, I would know. So therefore the person doesn't exist. I don't have, and I'm not going to settle. Now, if I ever were to do this again, it would have to meet this criteria. And so I was, you can imagine I was pretty shocked whenever Jimlin showed up and all these different boxes uh, with regard to values and a whole array of other things were like, oh my goodness. And uh, so, so what do you do when your daughters bring someone home from college and, and you can tell immediately that it's not going to work long-term, but they don't know it yet, or they think it might. James, we've already been there, man. And it's hard. It's really, really hard, dude. Here's, and I'm not saying that my way is right. But here's what I did, especially I won't say which girl, just to whatever. She she brought a guy home that had me bamboozled. I thought he was a good kid, but then there was then my BS meter kind of kind of peaked. And I realized this, eh, this guy's just talking too much good game. He's showing way too much interest in Milton Friedman at his age. You know, there's no way he likes you know free to choose that much. You know, but I gave him the book anyway. Turned out that was a horribly toxic relationship. But here's what I did. I left my arms wide open for um, my daughter to run to. I I wanted her to know, I don't think this is going to work out, but I also recalled the relationships from my past when I was her age or, well, I was with her mother whenever I was her age, but high school, I guess, had three girlfriends my whole life. Bless my heart. Um, But I tried to remember that there's nothing I can say. She's good. There's just certain aspects of life that our children are going to have to learn the hard, hard lessons themselves. And the best we can do as parents is say, Hey, I want you to know if something happens, I'm here. I love you. And that never changes. And I think that's one of the things that Rylan and Abby both know unequivocally is that Dad has very strong opinions, very strong values. I mean, almost to the point where they probably put me on a higher pedestal than I ever deserved. But at the end of it, they also know, but I can go talk to dad. I know, I mean, and that's one of the things, James, that I have been so free. And it's, it has waned as they've gotten older and the, and the conversations could be much more consequential um, for everything from, you know, just fill in the blank of something that a daughter does not want to talk to her dad about. Yeah, I've had, I've been shut out of some of those conversations, kind of broke my heart. But what's cool, man, is even if the initial battle comes up, I've got a boyfriend, it's toxic. In fact, it's unhealthy. I don't want dad to know because he will worry. He'll fly off the handle. He'll kill this kid. Um, even, you know, so therefore, a lot of things don't surface till after the fact. At the end of the day, if you're the, if you do it right, they will come to you at some point and go, Dad, what do I do? 
I need your advice. And that's the way I've always tried to be with my girls is just, and it's, it's also being, making them laugh. If you're a dad that can make your kids laugh, uh, not embarrass them, strategically embarrass them. I used to do, I, I still to this day, I will absolutely embarrass them. I've seen some Bama videos. Some of my best material, baby. Yeah, the, the 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 guy that went shopping with Rylan in Tuscaloosa, that alter ego, that was magical, I must say. We need to bring that back. Sorry, Rylan, but uh, yeah. I think that that will grow your podcast faster than anything else that we've found so far. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're, you're probably right. But, you know, be able to make them laugh, but then also, you know, remind them that you're dad. Remind them that certain things, you know, don't do that. It's and it's not just because I'm telling you not to do it. It's because I love you. And I, the hardest part for parents is, I, I guess we just don't want them to make the same mistakes, and we get to see them come. And I remember Rod Carew at one point in his career, they asked him, "How do you hit the ball so well?" And he says, "Because it's like they're throwing basketballs at me. I can just see it so well." A lot of times, as parents. That's how it is. We see our children standing at the plate and we can walk. We, we know exactly what the pitcher's about to throw. We know the speed. We know the drop. We know, we know exactly what, and, and we sit there and we have to sit there and watch them clueless. They think they're about to get a change up and we're going, no, here, it's a curveball. I'm telling you, sweetheart. But no, I'm dug in. I know it's a change up. I'm ready. And you have to watch them with. It sucks. So just like any just like any good coach would do, you bring it, you analyze it, and you go, "Hey, I know you thought it was a changeup, and I understand why you thought it was a changeup, but here's here's what you got to look for." And that's that's how I've tried to be with the girls, and you know, so, sometimes better than others. They, we've bo- here's here's a funny story. We've both had our giant blowups. Each of us, they can both tell. If I were to sit them, yeah, and I've had them on the podcast, you know, if I were to say, "All right, Rylan, what, what was yours?" Abby, what was yours? They could both tell you each of them got the absolute worst of dad, uh, but it's only happened one, one time each. <laughs> what would happen just theoretically if you took the other tact and you said, this is the pitch that's coming. This is the pitch that's coming. Look out. I know it. I've seen it. What would happen? They're human. They, 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 they want you to be wrong so bad that they will convince themselves that you're wrong. And so... Now, now, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll at least, it'll be in the back of their mind. And that's why I tell parents, you know, hey, if your parent, if your kids are doing something stupid, don't be that parent that just goes, well, they're not going to listen to me. No, plant the seed. Put them in that moment. You're more mature than them. You've lived more life than them and you love them. And they know that if you've done it right, they know you love them. So, so say, hey, look, here's why I just, I, I'm concerned. Don't tell, never, ever, ever make it like, hey, Abby, you idiot. Are you kidding me? This guy's a jackass. He did this. He did this. You know what that's going to do? It's going to make dang sure she never brings that dude anywhere near you. You need to just say, hey, I, I get it, but I would watch out for this. I would just be cautious. Um, and because I think what they'll do is they'll run. I think they will run and they will shoot. Because look, here's the deal, man. It's crazy. Um, they want so badly. It, again, if you've done it the way we have, my daughters both want so badly for me to approve, which I hate that word, but they want me to a- approve of their boyfriends. And I always try to instill in them, I don't, it's not about me approving. It's about them treating you the way I believe you deserve to be treated, them to cherish you, to love you and respect you. And if they do that, I don't care what they do for a living. I don't care much about anything else. If they do that, if they bring out the absolute best in you, then I'm good. Uh, but if you don't do that, man, because they want so badly, and here's here's their default mechanism. If they if they want so badly for you to approve of them and they know that you don't approve, then what they'll do is they'll just keep them away from you. They'll think and then they way. won't come back to you because you'll they, they're afraid you'll say, I told you so. Absolutely. So when they are hurt, that you won't even know it. That's exactly right, my man. Did having two daughters help you or teach you anything about how to 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 love Jemeline well? Absolutely. Okay, so I grew up, I mean, I was married to their mother who had a horrible um, love-lacking relationship with her father and saw the consequences of that firsthand, both from a, you know, from a, 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 a clinical standpoint and everything else. 
I saw that. I had a lot of years to watch the love languages of, of girls and, and how, a, how a man should, should treat a girl, uh, the things that my daughters reacted to, times that I caused them to cow down and times that I caused them to come running to me with, you know, to jump in my arms. And so absolutely, man, it, it helped me. And Jimlin, being someone who didn't have the best relationship with her father, you know, there's something very special about all sorts of, you know, the relationship between mom and son and whatever. They all have their own unique dynamic. The relationship that a father has with his daughter is there's a fine line, I think, between that and, you know, how you treat your daughters. You know, you, you model that in how you treat your spouse, right? So it all ties together. And so, yes, this practice of being the type of man in general that I wanted my daughters to, to see, I want them to know my values out in the world, the things I stood for, the things I believed in, the way I, I handle business transactions, you know, with integrity and honor. I wanted to see that as a male in general. That's how just the man should be. But then also, like with Jemelin, taking it to from being that honorable man to them following through when no one's looking and the only consequences are between my relationship and hers and being that guy. So yeah, I think it absolutely being around all these girls for so long, man, it's definitely made me a better man. Might be your next course after the, uh, the one you've got coming out soon because I'm scared to death of having a daughter knowing what I know about men and how we treat women. Yeah, it's frightening. And here's the thing, too, that you got to realize in this day and age, man, they don't communicate. You know, and that's what I wonder. And I'm, I've tried to prepare my girls for this. And, you know, to the listener, think about this for a moment. If, and James, you're younger than I am, I'm 47 or about to be 47. And we actually had to pick up a phone and talk if we wanted to communicate. And, and most of our, most of our interaction that we had with our girlfriends growing up in high school or whatever was in person. We actually went out, we went to movies, we hung out at each other's houses. These kids don't do this. They do some of that, but most of their relationship starts on their on their phones. And so the community so there's a, there's a false sense of they can overcome they don't have to worry about bad breath or a, or or eye boogers or you know just just being awkward in social settings for they can hide behind the screen for so long and then their actual personal interaction or in-person interaction is broken up into these little pieces. We think about going from that to marriage where now, you know, unfortunately you may have two married young people sitting on the couch in the same room, both staring at their phone. The only deal is now, instead of each other being on the other end of the phone saying, I miss you, they're scrolling TikTok. They're scrolling. They're doing, and they're just they're losing each. I, I, I worry about that, and I'm not a professional. That's that's our bro, our brother John Deloney's uh, job to to study and and fix those problems. So thank God we got somebody out there like that with his massive toolkit. Um, but I do, and I worry about that for the girls, and and that's one of the things too that I have advised them on. Like the worst thing you will ever that I, I stay I say to this day. The worst day, other than Abby being diagnosed with diabetes, which happened five years ago this week, um, the, the second worst thing as a parent that ever happened to me was whenever she got dumped for the first time in seventh grade. Pretty unconsequential stuff, seventh grade, right? But watching her heart hurt and watching her go through that pain, it just was excruciating for me. And so I've always tried to talk to the girls and warn them about, you know, look, here's how you have to communicate. And like when they would go through near breakups and they would just be texting, I said, did you call him? Did you call, did you call him? Has he called you? Speak to this person. You're never going to solve the big issues of life via text or email. It's, they don't use email. That's like antiquated to them. So it, it's a different dynamic, brother. And um, I'm trying my best to keep up with what they've got going on. Uh, I, I would say in the grand scheme of things, uh, Rylan and Abby are relatively what I guess most people would term old fashioned. Um, but even their, their version of old fashioned is probably different than mine. <laughs> so I do want to learn many, many more things from you, but I've got on here humor multiple times. Mm -hmm. What if you're not funny? Like, how do you make your, your kids or your spouse laugh if you just don't think you're funny? 
You know, that's a good question. Wow. I don't, because hmm. I, I think about this as I talk to, uh, there's sometimes whatever, like, Abby and I love to play the hypothetical game. We come up with these just horribly random hypotheticals. And I always, and one of the hypotheticals is all I'd be like, Hey, what if I were a dad like that, you know, wearing the high jeans and the goofy, you know, t-shirt from some 5k run from six years ago, the big old fat new balance. I mean, I'm the cool dad. I'm the funny dad. What if I was that guy? You know, just, just painting the worst picture. And if I were that dad, I wouldn't worry. I'd find out what else, what other tools really work and make sure that I use those such as just how do I communicate with my kid better? How do I talk without making it so weird and awkward? And if you go, go find a third party, go find something that both of you think is funny and go laugh at that thing. One of the funniest things that Abby and I ever did was to go see the modern version of vacation. She and I, sat there and we both laughed so hard. Now, granted, I can make Abby laugh. I mean, we both have the same twisted sense of humor. I can make Rylan laugh, although Rylan gets much more embarrassed than Abby. You know, that's what I would suggest. Go try to find something that both of you think is funny and go laugh at that thing together. And and then look, here's the deal. You don't have to be funny to make an ass of yourself. I mean, it just comes naturally, especially to us dudes. So if you're the nerdy dad out there and you grew up being the nerd that people laughed at you and not with you, these are your kids. You're their hero. Then it is not, they don't look at you as nerdy until they get a little older. And if you continue to act like a nerd, but be a goofball, just be goofy. I mean, you know, go, go do something to get over your pride, get over your ego. And, and just, I think that's it, man. Just and then hone your skills. I guess. I guess that's a great question, James. But but would, the uh, you know my thought with that is there's your kids laughing at you because yeah. you're you're embarrassing, like Homer Simpson type dad, right. and then there's, they're laughing with you because you're trying to make them laugh at something. And I think we have so many dads where the kids are laughing at them. And yeah. nobody else is laughing. Like, it's yeah. just uncomfortable. Homer Simpson is not a dad anybody wants to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And so I think you just got to figure that out for yourself. There's one dad on TikTok, uh, as I'm bashing TikTok earlier, that he does horrible dad jokes. Uh, and he is the dude. I bet his kids, it drives them crazy. I think the dude's a legend. I think, he's and I'm like, not asking for me. You know, I think I'm hilarious, so I've got no problem. Stitch, man, you're a stitch. You got it. Your kids, they'll be laughing whenever they leave the womb. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun, and I hope that uh, this Valentine's Day issue of the James Quando Show with my good friend Jason Wright, host of the Jason Wright Show, such a clever name that we came up with, so unique and different. And <laughs> I know I spent thousands of dollars in marketing and research to come up with that name. What about you? <laughs> Yeah, man, I tell you what, we are some creative geniuses, aren't we? But what are you up to next? Where can we find you? And uh, how can we support you? Because we'd love to to help out with what you're doing. Man, thanks so much, James. Well, I'd say, first of all, jasonrightnow.com. You can just kind of get the broad overview. And there you can sign up for the Vitruvian letter. James mentioned that earlier. The motto for the Jason Wright Show is simple. It's to improve always in all ways. I don't have the owner's manual to life, but so I'm constantly trying to figure out how to best optimize our, my brain, my body. And what I do in my endeavor to improve always and always is just kind of create our little repository every week into the Vitruvian letter, my personal newsletter. So please go and sign up for that. Listen to the show uh, and the Jason Wright show on Spotify, iTunes. It's, it's everywhere you find James's show. And, and that's it. And if there is some, if you have a question, um, just contact me through jasonrightnow.com and I always tell people this and there's no, there's no, nothing, there's no ask. It's just, I, I believe the, if I'm the best version of myself, it will benefit my fellow man. So if there's something I can help you with, what, if you have a question about something that we've talked about, go to jasonrightnow.com, the contact page and reach out. Let me know if you are that parent and you have gone through a divorce and you've got young children, Rylan and Abby were eight and eighth and ninth grade. That was a very vulnerable, pivotal time of their life. I did not do everything right that first year, but I've learned from it. I know how we do it differently. Again, if I can help you and give you some stuff that did work and the things to avoid, reach out. I'm willing to have those tough conversations if I think you can benefit somebody. So James, brother, great show. Uh, you're, you're, you're killing it. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for sharing your stage with me. 
And that's right, W-R-I-G-H-T. And I'll link to his website, his show, and everything else in the show notes for this episode at quandall.com slash right to. And the first episode we did about a year ago, which was about entrepreneurship and growth and so many other amazing topics, is at quandall.com slash right. So make sure you listen to that if you loved this one as much as I know you will. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.